0: It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I'm Dan Nathan, joined by Dan Niles. Dan Niles is the founder and portfolio manager of the Satori Fund. Dan, welcome back to OK Computer. My pleasure, as always, Dan. I think we have a title for this. Somebody sent me a tweet the other day from somebody, a guy named Dan Reagan. It says, I'm creating an Only Dan's where Dan's get together to complain about being called Dan the Man, Daniel's son, and Danny Boy our whole lives. So this is our Only Dan's pod right here. And I got to tell you, as a Dan, I actually call people, all, like every. I call lots of Dan's by those names. I've been called those my whole life. Have you suffered that
1: same affliction? I think every Dan has. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right. Only Dan's OK Computer Pod here. Dan, you were last on the pod with me October 18th. And I think our regular listeners know this. I really look forward to these sessions. And you've been doing this quarterly with me at least a year or so. And I really appreciate it because you and I go back all the way to the late 90s when you were on the sell side and you were making lots of big and bold calls about tech for years. And obviously you've spent the better part of the last two decades as a portfolio manager. So your perspective for me is really important because when I came into the business, you were one of those kind of axes in, in technology who could move stocks and sectors and the like. But you've also, over the last 20 years that I've known you, you have been amazingly transparent with your views as a portfolio manager. And you take credit when it's due, and you also take responsibility for things that you got wrong. And that's just one of the things that I think is so important. It's, it, you cannot go this long in the business if you don't have those characteristics so I appreciate that our listeners do too so thank you for coming back I thought what we'd do today is take a little bit of a view on some of the things maybe that you got right and wrong in 2023 and we could debate those a little bit we could talk about the macro and you had this great tweet thread I think it was about a week and a half ago talking about your 2024 picks and very detailed and some non-consensus sort of things and, and other things you're riding waves that you absolutely killed in 2023 and I want to hear the thought process of pressing those bets a little bit. But you want to start with 2023 and like how your mindset was heading in there. The consensus was pretty bearish heading into last year and it was very wrong.
1: More so than even the last year. The last three years consensus has been wrong. 2021, the whole theme was coming off of a big 2020. So invest in innovation, don't care what you pay for it. And you look at the Ark Innovation Fund, for example, and it underperformed the SP by 50% in 2021. Then you get into 2022 and the thought was, yeah, the Fed's hiking rates, but like the large cap tech stocks, they're gonna be immune from that. And if you look at just the Magnificent Seven, they were down 46% over on average in 2022. And then if you come into 2023, the consensus, myself included, was thinking, oh, there's probably going to be a recession by the end of 2023. And there absolutely wasn't. And the Magnificent Seven, after being down 46% in 2022, were up 111% in 2023. Entering this year, obviously, the whole thought is, oh, we're going to get a soft landing or no landing. The Fed's going to cut rates and the market's going to keep ripping. You start off the year with the first down week after nine up weeks in a row. And the Magnificent Seven obviously getting worked over. So we're going to have to see how this year plays out. Honestly, I'm not, I don't have a long-term view right now. My fuzzy view is, could I see the market up 20% in the first half of the year? Because the Fed starts cutting rates in March and subsequent meetings, this view of, hey, preemptive rate cuts to ensure a soft landing. Sure. But could I see this just being a situation where the normal lag of one to two years of monetary policy takes hold and we end up with the shallow recession in the back half of the year, and the market goes down 30 percent. I could see that as well. So I'm sort of managing this on a day by day basis. Weekly jobless claims and commodity prices such as oil are the two things I'm watching the most closely as along with everything else. But that's kind of our view in terms of a very potentially very volatile 2024 and consensus it's a little scary when everybody's thinking it's a soft landing, much like the last three years prior when consensus was spectacularly wrong.
0: Let's talk about that. You hit on something about the the long and variable lags of monetary policy, right? So you hear Fed Chair Powell say that all the time. So going back to the start of 2022, the NASDAQ had already started to roll over a little bit in late 2021 when Fed Chair Powell said they were going to start raising interest rates to battle inflation. And it was those large cap stocks that you mentioned before they were kind of named the MAG-7 they started selling off in early of 2022. Heck, Alphabet was making a new all-time high in January of 2022 after that Q4 report, if you remember. And so investors weren't ready to let go of those stocks. But if you also remember about consensus about the rate hikes at that point is that maybe they go up 200 basis points or something. Nobody had it on their bingo card that it was going to get to 5% in Fed funds. And so I wonder if we flash forward now two years, a lot of the sentiment feels very similar to me as it feels like we're on the precipice of a pivot. And that's clearly what was priced in late last year a little bit. But I wonder if it doesn't go as smoothly as planned, if you will, because if you look at what the CME Fed Fund's like tracker is pricing for that March meeting, it's dropped fairly dramatically. It's about 65% for a 25 basis point hike. So if we were to get some kind of hotter, inflationary readings or hotter economic data, I wonder if that gets pushed out. And then what happens to stocks that have had this magnificent rally, to use the term again and again, over the last couple of months? And I want to say that when you were on on October 18th, you said once we get through Q3 earnings, you were expecting a massive rally.
1: And we got it. Last year really wasn't about earnings. And a good way to think about that is at the beginning of last year versus today, the December quarter estimates for Apple, which they're going to report in a couple of weeks, have gone down by 10%. The stock was up 48% last year. From the beginning of last year to today, the fourth quarter estimates for Tesla, for EPS, have gone down about 50%. And the stock doubled last year. And that really sets you up for this earnings season coming up and MobilEye some of your viewers may be familiar with, they came out and pre-announced negatively and the stock got absolutely slaughtered when they did that. Again, a name that had done well. And so I think now the rubber really hits the road and companies are going to have to put up solid numbers and we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, one week does not a year make. And so the fact that you've had some of this turbulence to start, does that mean investors are really going to care about earnings or will they just sort of ignore it and say, oh yeah, I love Apple, so I'm going to buy it. And I love Tesla, I'm going to buy it. I, I think it's a little bit different because of what you brought up, which is I do think investors are, are going to get a lot less rate cuts when all said and done than what they're planning on. And Even if you look at the Fed forecast, it's for three rate cuts this year. Their summary of economic projections has three rate cuts this year and five for next year. And the way I think about it is 10-year treasury should be sort of where nominal GDP is. And if you think we're going to get a soft landing and you end up with nominal GDP of 2 to 3% and inflation of 2%, I would argue 10-year treasuries are close to buy. And that's higher than where they are today, and that would probably necessitate the Fed cutting less than what they're thinking. We'll have to see how this all plays out, but the fact that Mobileye got crushed off their pre-announcement makes me think that earnings are going to start mattering again, especially with PEs as high as they are relative to where CPI is, and what I mean by that is when CPI is between 2 to 3%, historically The multiple has been closer to about 19 times for the S&P 500 on a trailing basis. And right now it's sitting at about 22 times. And so obviously you could have some pretty decent sized sell-offs if earnings don't come through and multiples start to normalize and rates are don't go down as much as people
0: think. Yeah, and last time you were on in October, you were not particularly optimistic about Apple. The quarter they reported, the guidance they gave was not particularly good, highlighting some of the issues that they have in the smartphone space. And again, these are not huge issues. They're just not growing anymore, right? And so if you think about that, every press release that they introduce on the earnings side starts off with that installed base of $2 billion plus, right? So this is really about services, right? And squeezing out more of what people are doing on their phones. I always thought that whole, notion of this upgrade super cycle was just a bunch of garbage. Because anecdotally, all you had to do was look around and see what you were doing with your own phone or what your family was doing with your own phone. And now the hardware upgrades are very incremental, right? They have issues in iPad. They have issues in Mac, right? They don't have Gen AI. I think it's a perfectly fine company. But again, if 50% of their sales are iPhones and they're not really growing, and that 45% gross margin incorporates most of the margin in the entire smartphone space, right? But they're getting a lot of this premium multiple right now, trading at 27 times for mid to high single digits earnings growth. You tell me at seven turns over the S&P or something like that, whether that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. And the last bit I'll just make about Apple is that net cash position, while it's earning more than it ever has with yields where they are, when they're buying back their stock, it's just not having the same impact that it has now that it's gained a trillion dollars in market cap over the last year.
1: Yeah, I I think the bigger issue with Apple, quite honestly, is Huawei because what people forget is calendar 19, Huawei had about 16% global market share. Then President Trump cut off the chip supply to Huawei. And that market share went from 16% to low single digits overnight. And last year, towards the end of the year, they announced their first smartphone flagship phone since 2019 had no U.S. parts in it. And now those phones are selling incredibly well. And China is a very important market for Apple. And so I think that's something that people aren't spending as much time on because Because why would I, right? The stock keeps going up. So why do I care? But at a certain point, like, and you never know what rings the bell. I mean, I as you said, like you and I have been talking since the late 1990s and things just kept going up until in 2000, they didn't. And then it got really ugly and NASDAQ went down 78% from peak to trough. So, and, but things had been weakening before then, but people didn't care because the stocks were working. So we'll have to see how this plays out. And on the services side, the thing I worry about is people keep talking about how great the services are at Apple, but the services growth has also come in consistently below where people thought. It's just, it hasn't been as bad as the hardware. And And ultimately, hardware, if you're losing a bunch of sockets to Huawei, that's going to impact it. And the second piece of it is if the economy gets tougher and Europe GDP, for example, is at 0% rate, zero and china's obviously worse than expected as well and the u.s consumer has run out of excess savings so there was two and a half trillion of excess savings in people's bank accounts because of all the stimulus checks etc that's essentially gone and people are 25 million students are having to start repaying their student loans which they hadn't had to do for three years all of that's going to work into you're going i got grabbed all these services from apple but what am i actually using and i i know i went through that where we got a lot of services we added during covid and then as the 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 world kind of opened up and we started doing things. I'm like, we're not really using that. So let's get rid of that. And so you're seeing some of that going on as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out for Apple. And the final piece of this is on the hardware side, what people forget is memory pricing collapsing was a massive boon to margins for Apple, which helped cover up a lot of other problems. But as we saw recently with Micron beating and raising forward numbers and prices turning, memory prices after getting absolutely slaughtered are now on their way back up. And that's going to put some pressure on overall margins going forward because we can try to talk about services all we want. But at the end of the day, the earnings are being driven by what's going on with the iphone because if services could offset everything your eps wouldn't have gone down 10 percent over the course of the last 12 months for the fourth quarter they're about to report
0: so to summarize a little bit you're pretty neutral on apple here i'm
1: not neutral our biggest short positions is in that ecosystem around apple interestingly enough we're actually long apple right now but we are short a massive amount of the suppliers that feed into apple Because I'm a hedge fund, right? So we're hedged. And so we have that position on. And quite honestly, we'll probably end up being back on the short side of Apple and manage these positions. But that's where I want to be involved on the short side against the longs that we have right now, where a lot of the biggest longs we have are in the AI space that we just ramped up a lot recently, going into the fact that obviously companies like NVIDIA are going to report their earnings in a month and a half or so. And that stock has really done nothing since the middle of the year, which is great because you get to buy NVIDIA at a cheaper PE growing at an extraordinary rate than you can buy Apple at, which is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm more than happy to be long NVIDIA and other names in that kind of ecosystem that have done nothing for six months or so and be short the Apple ecosystem against that where I think numbers are likely to go down and figure if I can get NVIDIA at a cheaper price than I can short Apple at and their ecosystem, then that's absolutely great. We're recording this Monday afternoon into the
0: close. And as we speak, mega cap Tech is ripping after a pretty nasty week last week, which I think a lot of people expected a little bit of a hangover. They marked a, a lot of the best performing names into year end a little bit, but NVIDIA is up more than 5% right now. It's up on the year. It's making a new all-time high. And that consolidation that you talked about When that stock gapped up in the spring, I think it was May, from $300 to $400, it really spent the better part of the next six and a half months consolidating between $400 and $500. And it was interesting on on CNBC's Fast Money on Friday afternoon, I made that exact point. And this is a name that I hadn't been that positive about from a stock perspective, but I said it has grown into its valuation. And the consolidation has actually worked off an overbought condition through time and was setting up pretty well. And to your point, I actually think about it a little differently, Dan. I was like, okay, if Alphabet and Microsoft and Meta and all their big customers are reporting, I think 50% of them are going to report at the end of this month. I want to be long it into that, right? I'd get that exposure into that. And at that point, I'm not so sure I want to be long into their print because the stock since that May report has not done that well after earnings because the expectations have gotten so high.
1: Yeah, and and I 100% agree with you where for us, expectations are just kind to ramp into their release the daily report we're probably not going to be long it and quite honestly if you're thinking about this logically at some point this year and my guess is it's mid to late this year their ability to supply what the market wants is going to match. Right now, they can't meet the demand. So really, whatever they report in revenues is going to be related to the packaging capacity sitting at TSM's. And right now, there's no chance that it's anywhere close. And so you're going to have this double, triple ordering going on until then. And my guess is that at some point, whatever, mid-year, late this year, you end up with a situation where they can meet demand, then customers start canceling orders, and the numbers start going down. But that's a problem that's probably at least six months out, in my opinion. And so it's something that we're going to watch because don't forget, and I think it's easy for people to forget, NVIDIA pre-announced negatively, I think in August of 2022, if I remember correct. Pre-announced negative because you had gone through this big surge in data center demand. And then that demand fell off and they had their revenues decline by 30% in six months. It's not going to surprise me to see the same thing happen again at some time starting later this year. But for right now, the good news is it's a portfolio. Portfolio. And in the near term, I think you're going to have another big beat and raise quarter. People are going to realize that they're obviously at, in Las Vegas right now at CES and they're meeting with people and their quiet period starts at the end of the week and things are going to sound fantastic as they should. And this party will continue for a while longer, I think, before it ends. That
0: was my view about the double and triple ordering and, and kind of supply meeting demand or more competition coming online. And, and I got really chopped up in that $400 to $500 range as a trader trying to take a couple shots at shorting it. And it is important to note that a lot of the the performance happened before, let's say, that they were going to continue to beat and raise. And I just think that's a really important lesson. That was a hard one for me. I do expect the same to happen at some point this year. But you just mentioned Tesla. And I think that Apple and Tesla have some similar issues, especially as it relates to, to China a little bit and competition there. And you saw the headlines about BYD outselling them as far as units in Q4. And we we know that they have a much lower end price point car in China. China is super important for Tesla. Obviously, you and I talked about this in October, not just for access to rare earth materials and manufacturing, but that consumer and a big part of their growth is focused on the China story. So I'm just curious when I look at Tesla and I say, OK, fine. Last year, earnings were expected to decline 25 percent. And that's probably what we're going to see. Sales grew 20 percent. Margins went from 25 and percent to 18 and percent. It was a horrible fundamental year for Tesla. And one of the main reasons was because they got something wrong. And it's something that you've known for 30 years in this business. You probably learned in school. I was a poli-sci major. You were probably a finance major. I was an electrical engineering right. major. Fair enough. So maybe <laughs> yeah. you learned it a little later. But the whole idea of price elasticity, it didn't work for them. And so when you think about Tesla right now is that they do have a lot of low-end competition in places that matter. And then in North America and Europe, they might be saturated at a time where consumers are not that interested in EVs uh, anymore. And so when I think about this story, I think that in three years since it was added to the S&P 500, the stock's gone nowhere. It's massively underperformed the S&P 500, which is up about 30%. And it's in the same exact spot as it was in late 2020. So my question to you, is this the year that a lot of investors believe that this is an auto company with margins that look a lot like autos, right? They have not been able to deliver on autonomous and full self-driving and tax and all that other stuff. And I'm just curious if if that's something that causes a bit of sentiment shift as we think about all the enthusiasm into these Mag 7 and a lot of its AI and data center and autonomy and all this sort of stuff. But I wonder if Tesla, this is the year where people realize that it's a three quarter of a trillion dollar car company trading at a valuation we've never seen for a car company before.
1: Everything you said is number one, absolutely correct. And the fact the margins have done what they've done and the EPS has gone down by 50%, percent five zero for this December quarter that they're going to report and nobody has cared because of that margin compression is interesting. So I always like to say, look, we're in this business to make money, not to be intellectually right. If you'd gotten the earnings right last year, you would have gotten absolutely killed if you were short the stock. So the question is, when do people care? And what I find interesting is when they came out last week, released their delivery numbers and they were a little bit better than the street thought, the stock, as we talk about it, today is still down 3% year to date, which is nothing, right? It's only a few trading days, five trading days this year so far. But it's also not ripping like some of the names are in the mag seven, like NVIDIA, for example, today. So I sort of look at the stock and I say, I'm going to let the market tell me when people start to care. And the fact that they didn't rip off the delivery numbers makes me think that it's what we started this conversation off with, which is stocks have gone up regardless of what their earnings have done. But maybe mobilize an indication or Boeing today getting hit off of the issues they've got that earnings actually do matter. And we're going to get a taste of that late this week. And I would watch the banks because obviously the banks had a ferocious rally at the end of last year. But there's a lot of issues with the banking system in the sense that the good news is if the Fed does start to cut rates, which I think they will in March. that's great for net interest margins, but you've also got things going on with loan loss reserves, et cetera. So I think the way that the mega banks, which start to report on Friday morning, how they react to earnings, that's maybe a good tell for maybe what's going to happen with tech, which is if there's going to be one or two banks where the numbers go down, if those things get absolutely beat up, then you're going to know that, okay, earnings actually have gone back to mattering versus what's the 10-year doing today and what's the whale doing today and all of those other things. So it's a long winded way of me saying, in my gut, I believe that Tesla people are going to start needing the numbers to come through versus the promise of autonomous driving, robo taxis, etc. But we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, it didn't matter last year. So we'll have to see what happens this
0: yeah, year. Yeah. And going back to that kind of consensus thinking in a way, the idea that the Fed is going to cut, and it's been fairly well telegraphed. Fed Chair Powell said at that presser in mid December, they're not going to wait for inflation to get to their target. They're going to get in front of it. But you also said something, and I'm hearing a lot of smart portfolio managers. Actually, Steve Eisman was on Fast Money with us last week of Newberger, and I'm sure Steve fairly well. He said the same thing that you did. He doesn't think the Fed is going to cut nearly as much as the market anticipates right now, but it really comes down to nominal, right? And so that is the issue is like whether the goalposts get moved a little bit, whether that 2% target becomes a little fungible, right? As far as inflation is concerned, right? And what is the correct rate? But I wonder if there is something that happens and it could be geopolitical, not too different than the start of 2022. That spike in oil is the thing that I think got a lot of investors offsides, right, in Q1 of last year. So if inflation was to reignite a little bit and rates were to stay put, doesn't it make it very challenged, I think, for, again, for an economy that's already going to be doing with sub 2% growth or so? It makes it a, a really difficult from a multiple perspective because Gen I has turned up the dial to 11 on a lot of these multiples. Think about you getting comfortable with Microsoft trading at 30 times is not something two years ago you might felt particularly great about, or prior to that, your entire career. And you think about how much of the market cap of the S&P they make. I just worry that a lot of folks are crowding into these names because they think of not only defensive, but they also think that they're on the cusp of a massive secular shift, not too different than what we saw, let's say, the turn of the century.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Coming out of late 90s it was like oh internet like you put a dot-com behind your name and the stock doubles overnight and you spent a lot of money figuring out the internet and then the nasdaq went down 78 percent over two years while amazon's revenues doubled over two years it's one of those things where right now all these companies are spending a ton of money on generative ai and is it going to change the world just like the internet did absolutely but does that mean that stocks won't get absolutely crushed as you spent all this money and then you're figuring out how to generate revenues from it. Some companies will and other companies won't. And so you're going to go through that. If you think of semiconductors, other than NVIDIA, can you name one company that where numbers got revised a lot higher last year? Yeah, I can. Every single one of the names that people thought was going to benefit, the numbers went down. Now, by the way, I bought some of those recently because I think for some of them, you're actually getting to the point where some of it turns. But the point being is that you're already seeing that in semiconductors which is the building blocks you need to be able to do AI. So then the question should become, all right, if we're not seeing in all these semiconductor names, other than NVIDIA, then what happens when you move upstream to the software type names? Which companies will benefit? Like even last quarter, if you think about it, Google missed in their business. And you go, wow, like how could they miss? Like they've got all of this exposure to you got nine different services with a billion users each, and they have more data to train AI engines than anybody on the planet. How the hell did they miss? But Microsoft did obviously very well, and Amazon was somewhere in the middle where they did 12% growth, which was the same as last quarter. So I think even at the highest levels, you're seeing some bifurcation of the winners and the losers. And I think at these valuation levels, with the stocks all having run up, as you pointed out, the rubber really hits the road when they start to report. Is if you have any of these companies, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, having an issue with their AI-related businesses you're going to see a real problem with these stocks. To your point about the revisions, NVIDIA is a
0: great point. And you just said you feel very comfortable owning it for the next quarter or so because of this. And just, again, this is a company that's expected to grow earnings and sales this year, 50% plus. Now that might be on the high end, but it's trading at 25 times that. This is a 75% gross margin. And on the flip side about revisions, let's look at AMD, okay? This is basically, they're going to get back to peak earnings expected this year, okay, after a big drop. So this is in 2024 but those earnings aren't growing nearly as fast and the sales are like mid to high teens and it's a 50% gross margin company, right? So there's no margin for error with this stock trading at 50 times earnings. And so I think is that from a PM perspective, that's where you feel more comfortable. And again, if you have to shift because there's gonna be greater of a deceleration in Nvidia's results, okay, you're gonna have one gap, but you're not gonna wait around for the second gap because again, that's the way it
1: works. To be very clear, When NVIDIA catches up with their ability to supply to meet demand, then it's game over for AMD, in my opinion, and Intel as well, because everybody wants the NVIDIA chip. If they can't get it, they'll settle for the AMD. By the way, I think the MI300 is a fantastic chip that AMD has. But in my opinion, and based on the things people I've talked to, NVIDIA still is the leader. To some degree, it's to keep NVIDIA honest if you're looking at the MI300. And it's a very good chip. But... When you get to that point, much like you did in 2000, I should say, with the internet, when you get to that point where you can catch up and meet demand, you're going to see an issue for all of these names for a while until you figure out, okay, what is the real demand? What is the real market share at a normalized level for NVIDIA versus AMD versus an Intel, for example? And that's when it's going to get a lot more tricky. And so the good news is that's the great environment for people who actually understand the fundamentals of these companies versus an environment where everything's just going up. And I mentioned earlier, the NVIDIA stocks really gone flat for six months. And now it's breaking out again. And so it's managing that risk and earnings. And for me, ultimately, it all comes down to earnings ultimately. In the short term it really doesn't matter and the short term can be a year or two but ultimately that's what it comes down to and at least in the near term i see the numbers They're absolutely crushing the number again and having the numbers go up a lot and unlike six months ago the stock is incredibly cheap relative to other names that just aren't growing and so it's the perfect environment at least from my perspective of i can own nvidia but hedge it out by being short stuff that's actually more expensive and that's growing less quickly.
0: Yeah, and I just make one quick point though, is that I think about NVIDIA over the last five years, is that their chips have been at the forefront, and I'm doing this with air quotes people, of crypto mining, of gaming, of data center, of AR VR, of the metaverse, of now obviously graphics chips for training AI models. And along the way, there's been some significant hiccups. The stock sold off more than 75% from its highs in late 2021 as did Meta, as did Netflix. So the idea that a $1.3 trillion market cap semiconductor company is just the anointed one for this new world order that we have, I don't buy it because at some point there will be a material correction and it could be cut in half at some point.
1: Absolutely. Because And by the way, it'll be cut in half because much like in 2021, you figure out that demand isn't what they thought it was because everybody was double and triple ordering, which they are again. And That's what will drive it. It's not going to be just because, oh, the multiple goes down. It's going to be an earnings-driven event if that does happen. And I've been covering the semiconductor industry since the 90s. And the issue I have is when you look at the customers for an NVIDIA and you say, we're the biggest customers, you got Microsoft, Amazon, et cetera and you look at what they're seeing for growth in their Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure, and you look at their cloud businesses, and you go, it's sort of a mixed bag. It's not like they're blowing the numbers. If they were, it'd be a different situation, but they're not. So you go, okay, at some point, this is going to normalize because NVIDIA's demand is going up much faster than any revisions you're seeing in the cloud sector as a whole. You had a great thread
0: on Twitter. I know you've been on CNBC. By the time folks are listening to this, you will have been on Fast Money with, myself and Guy to talk about some of these top picks. And one thing I just wanted to get before we get to some of these internet names that are on your list for 2024, I thought it was interesting last week, there was a headline that Microsoft's going to put a ChatGPT key on their Microsoft Windows keyboards. And it reminds me, because I think you covered Compaq Computer at the turn of the century. I remember the day that Compaq put an AltaVista search engine key. It was a big announcement. And I think Dell and Microsoft, they were all doing the same thing. And that was it. That the top because you remember <laughs> and there are no search engines anymore people just so you guys know and there were some of the hottest stocks in the entire market back then and I remember Dell shot up and Compaq shot up and the like here so that kind of smacked of that to me Dan a little bit.
1: Yeah and and we'll see how it all shakes out at the end. One of the topics I have which I think is a sleeper but I'm actually really curious how it works out is the Meta glasses because unlike the ski goggles for 3500 that Apple's trying to sell you And you can get something at about a tenth of the price from Meta. And I go, if you've tried the Ray-Ban glasses on, they're actually cool looking glasses. And so I wonder at the end of this year, if I can talk to my glasses and say, hey, Meta, translate this for me or add some more functionality to make it interesting. Does that become, especially if you're traveling overseas and you don't know the language and you want to read a menu or whatever, does this become the sleeper hit for mass adoption of ai meets mixed reality or whatever you want versus what we're all currently talking about which is i got this button that microsoft is putting on my keyboard and so we'll see how it shakes out these things always tend to work differently than you think and i go back to the bill gates quote which i strongly believe in which is technology is overhyped near term and underhyped long term and that applied to the internet right it was overhyped in the late 90s you got absolutely massacred over two and a half years. And then it was underhyped after you got through those two. That applies to Gen AI as well, where every company has to say Gen AI on their call 50 times. And then you end up with number cuts right after they do. Because they guide and they go, yeah, but everything else sucks. And so this is what it looks like. Other than NVIDIA, of course. So I think you're going to see that bifurcation of winners and losers, especially this year, because the stocks have all run up. Now You got to put up the numbers, I think.
0: All right. That's a great segue. So after the break, let's get into your top picks for 2024. Cross River Bank member FDIC. Let's talk about one of those picks. You just mentioned it. It's Meta, and it's interesting that you're focused on some of the hardware. But really, what it would do is it's part of an ecosystem, right? And things going back to late 2021, when they changed the name from Facebook to Meta, obviously, we know they were very focused on the Metaverse, Oculus, and the hardware were a big part of that. But part of it is just keeping you engaged on their platform and doing a whole host of things in different ways that you never knew that you could do that, right? And so I get it. It seemed like a goofy sort of thing to change the name at the time, and that was the ultimate with that too. Yeah. yeah. So that was I, I, the time. Like but here's the thing. So you came into last year and Meta was your top pick and it was up nearly 200 percent on the year. And now it remains one of your top five picks for 2024. And I'm just looking at the expectations here. So consensus is calling for 20 percent EPS growth, 13 percent sales growth, flat margins, about 80 percent, trades about 20 times. Yeah, I'd say to myself, trades below a market multiple, trades well below, okay, many of its large cap peers, right, in the space, but the growth is not like gangbusters, right? So are you expecting something, what would you expect to turn up that EPS growth and turn up that revenue growth? And obviously the margin stuff is probably going to stay flat, the spend, and I know that Zuckerberg, what did he talk about last year, was a year of rationalization, so they wanted to take down some costs and the like here. So is it just a slow and steady name here that should do well? on a relative yeah. basis,
1: I think it's a slow and steady name, but the kicker here is you've obviously going to have one of the most contentious elections we've ever seen. And so the amount of advertising is going to be absolutely insane, which is going to drive up the cost for ads. And Meta is really going to benefit from that. And then in addition to that, Meta is using AI in their business. So what I mean by that is they're using AI to help place ads where they can monetize the best. They're using AI to figure out, well, what will people like to look at in their feeds? And so they're showing them that. And so they're really using AI to help with those things. And you look at it, and I look at it off a trailing basis, but you look at it off a 4 it doesn't really make a difference. But you're able to get really solid growth at a reasonable price. And so that's why, for me, I still like the name. And I think relative to a lot of the other Magnificent Seven where I could see numbers potentially having a problem, to me, this is a great core in the Magnificent Seven to have along with Amazon, which we can talk about. Don't forget, I got involved in this name heavily and I was on CNBC after that horrific October of 2022 report and guide when they talked about spending exorbitant amounts on the metaverse. And I came on CNBC and said, look, this is just a forecast. They can cut that spend whenever they want and we were saying like yeah we're buying it in the low 90s and obviously the stock's not in the low 90s now it's a consensus long which quite honestly is the one thing that bothers me to some degree uh, because i don't like consensus longs but they don't mean that they can't continue to work especially if they're at a reasonable valuation relative to their growth rate and i think it in some ways it has the best mix and unlike with an nvidia i'm not worried about some major collapse in the back half of the year because I've got an election coming up in the back half of the year which should really help their core business. Yeah. So let's talk about Amazon
0: because one of the things that I think as AWS has like the growth rate has gotten to levels that we haven't seen in a very long time. I think it was 12, 13% or so. And there's still obviously the market share leader there. But this name is also a consensus long. If I look at this 70 analysts who cover it on the street, I think 68 rated a buy to a hold. And so like anytime the stock dips, people are defending it. Investors, Seem to be okay because they've been looking at this North American retail piece as just a zero sort of at least contribution to the valuation. AWS ever picks up, they're able to integrate Gen AI across the kind of offerings that they have. Maybe there's some reacceleration, but expected 23% this year earnings growth, mid-teens revenue growth. What is the thing that gets this stock back to its prior all-time highs at a time where a lot of the Mag7 have already made all-time highs or new all-time highs? And this thing is still well below those 2021 highs.
1: Quite honestly, for me, and if you read any of my social media posts, I either like this stock or don't based off the retail margin leverage, despite AWS, because I haven't been a fan of AWS for the last couple of years. And to your point, AWS, so Amazon Web Services, the revenue growth peaked in Q4 of 2021 at 40%. The last two quarters... Q2, Q3, it was down at 12%, but the good news is Q3 didn't get any worse than Q2. I think on that front, because most investors, rightly or wrongly, care about AWX because it's the highest margin business. But here's the key. If you look at the operating margins for Amazon, they got crushed on the other side of COVID because they spilled all of this capacity for COVID. Then as the world reopened up, their revenue growth decelerated and they had all of this excess capacity. Now, finally, over the last quarter or so, as the revenues have ramped up and they don't need to spend, you've got this massive upside. So, if you think about last quarter, for Q3, they beat the operating income profit number by 40%. That's a huge beat. And so the way I'm looking at this is in a recession, if you go back to the prior recession, at least from an earnings perspective, they gained market share. And so they put up 7.8% operating margins in the quarter they just reported. The prior high was 8.2% in early 2021. And I think you're going to be able to see EPS go from around 270 or so this year, this is gap earnings, to around five to six bucks out in 2025 based on their leverage in their retail business. And from what the company is saying, AWS, all the cost optimization by their customers, that's slowing down. If that's the case, that should help the multiple hang in there. And so, I think by the twenty twenty five, you're going to see this thing start to trade on a PE basis, which it's never really done in its history and you can look at costco trading at 42 times trailing pe or walmart which is obviously the big juggernaut but it's at 24 times and then apply whatever which one of those you want to five to six dollars in earnings and you obviously end up with a higher stock price than where it is today so that's how i'm really thinking about amazon and it's really retail leverage on margins based on that massive logistics network that they now get to fill up at very High incremental margins. That's why I actually like
0: it. It's interesting. Most investors you listen who come on CNBC or analysts who are reiterating their buys or whatever, they're not making the bull call that you're making on the name. It has a lot more to do with AWS, and I find that really interesting. So I really appreciate that. All right, here's one I found really surprising when I was reading this thread. Okay, so I guess is,
1: so I know where you're going. KWeb yeah. probably. Well, KWeb
0: definitely. But I got to tell you, I'm about to roll out. You're going to be on the show today night, we do these little acronyms where we put together the first letter of a handful of stocks that we're focused on for the year. And I guess I do have a B in there. I was going to say for Alibaba, because the ticker is BABA. And a lot of it has to do with that net cash position is massive. The sentiment is absolutely horrible. We know all the actions that the government has taken. To, for This is for three years running now, tamped down. So if you think about how poor the sentiment is as it relates to the economy in China and the consumer over there, I say to myself, at some point, that's going to turn this year. And I I think looking at your notes, you feel the same, but you don't want to take this kind of idiosyncratic risk, maybe with one name. You look at the K-Web and you say it's distributed across a whole host of names that you think should benefit based on a lot of the same issues that are weighing on these stocks right now.
1: Obviously, I, I play in single stock names. But when I was thinking about putting out something for that retail investors might look at, I thought this was a better risk-adjusted way of playing it. And, and this is why. If you go back to 2020, the Chinese government blocked Alibaba's IPO, the Ant Financial IPO, in November of 2020. If you look at revenues for the big three in China, and their acronym, much like we have, we used to have FANG here, is BAT. And what BAT stands for is Baidu, Alibaba, and Tensa. If you look at the revenues for those three, even since the government's really been going after them, the revenues in 2023 are expected to be up 33%. The stocks are down 53% since the end of 2020 through 2023. Now, to put that in contrast, the Magnificent Seven have seen revenues go up 54% over that same period of time, and the stocks are up 69%. Or a different way to think about it is you can buy the BAT names at 13 times GAAP EPS, and the Magnificent Seven you can buy 34 times. Now, over 10 years, the revenues in the BAT names have gone up 10 times. And the revenues in the Magnificent Seven have gone up 4.3 times. For all of the consternation around what's going on in China, you're actually still seeing revenue. It's hard to get excited about that space when every time you turn around, the Chinese government's doing something to knock down the stocks. But I always believe in actions speak louder than words. And the fact that the government has stepped up and started to buy stocks, the fact that after they transferred the regulation of the gaming companies to this other division the government in china when that person put out something the stocks all got crushed and then the very next day they approved more games than they had in a long time and then they basically got rid of the person in the head of that department it tells me they're trying to do a little bit better job of coordinating because the stocks are now if you look at it they were exiting uh, 2023 2 to 3% below the lows of coke below the lows of 2022 and so it seems to be a line in the sand and the fact that China is willing to get rid of this person of these regulations, willing to step in with their own money to buy these stocks. And at a 13 PE relative to the Magnificent 7 at 34 times, that looks interesting to me on a risk adjusted basis. And again, remember, I'm a hedge fund, so I can hedge out positions to try to de-risk it a little
0: bit. Yeah, I'll just say this, that the the Alibaba in particular, you're talking about the group at 13 times is trading at high single digits. And that one to me, given the cash and position, it just seems like there's a lot of valuation support there. And at some point, it's going to be baby with the bathwater, probably in Q1. And that's probably when you just step in and buy. There's two more in your top five. and, And this one, Also surprised me, Dan, this is Texas Instruments, and I know this is a name that you obviously know extremely well, but it looks very different than a lot of the names. You were talking about some of the earnings revisions higher in the space. This one has had earnings revisions lower. They're expected to actually, again, have negative earnings growth this year in 2024. Sales are flat. Margins have been down eight points over the last few years or so. What's interesting to you about Texan at 25 times?
1: This reminds me of Intel. So if you remember, I've been on CNBC talking about Intel since really April, and I actually put it on my top five picks list right after they had cut their dividend, which they said they would never. And the stock got absolutely crushed. By the way, Intel finished last year up 90%, 9-0. It absolutely crushed the stocks, which was up 65%, and it crushed most of the magnificent set, Right. This is very similar in the sense that if you look at TI, what people really hate about this company, there are multiple things. As you said, revenues are down over 10% year over year or four quarters in a row. The last time that happened was 08, 09. And the second part that people absolutely hate is that they plan on spending $5 billion in CapEx for each year through 2026. Now, if you think about Intel, so why is the stock up 90? I think people have come to appreciate the fact that Intel is building capacity that we can trust versus something sitting in China or Taiwan. And for TI, they're doing an even better job in that most of their fabrication expansion is in the United States. The second thing is people have made this assumption, well, TI, they're just losing market share to ADI and Avago, et cetera. That's not the case. What I think happened is TI had more capacity than those other companies. And so they were able to meet demand much sooner. And so as we've seen with every other company out there, customers started to cancel because they doubled and triple order during COVID. And so TI has gone through this normalization process much earlier than everybody else. And if you look at the stock last year, the stock was up 3% versus the semiconductor index, which was up 65%. And I think what you're gonna see this year is while now you have numbers starting to come down, Across the guys that didn't cut numbers last year, you're gonna see TI's numbers, I think, actually hang in there, have potential for upside going forward because things may be bad. But does it feel like it's 08, 09 bad when revenues were last down double digits for four quarters in a row? Design momentum at a mixed signal analog company when you've got thousands of customers accounting. Or very low percentage of your revenues it does not change that fast and i've been doing semis for a long time so unless you think the management team at texas instruments has suddenly gotten stupid i think you're going to see a difference much like last year their numbers are coming down everybody else is holding fine because ti has inventory and they don't i think going into this year we're in 2024 i think this year you're going to see that flip again to the other side where the guys that weren't cutting numbers now are and ti's numbers actually start to go from down double digits year over year to growing year over year by the time we exit. It's a great long against other shorts that I have in that space. It's a great
0: counter trend, counter consensus one too, if you think about it, because everyone is crowding in a handful of names within the semiconductor space. And your point about customer concentration, Apple's their largest customer at about 7% or so. And then it just goes to down to low single digits after that. And when you think about just the analyst community hates it. Like literally, oh, yeah.
1: I, I think two thirds of the but, but here's the thing, the analyst community Hated Intel last year. Hated it. And it's up 90%. The analyst community does what it does, which is as stocks go down, they hate them. And then after they double, then they go ahead and they low. With TI, for me, it's fantastic that I can buy it up 3% last year with the stocks up 65. When a lot of the other names in the stocks, I go, well, there's a bunch of these guys in the smartphone space where now that. Huawei's ramping up and they're getting chips from domestic Chinese companies and not U.S. companies. That's going to take market share away from somebody. I've got stuff I can match up. And so for me, that's fantastic because as a hedge fund manager, as I said earlier, I'm looking at this year gone. I could see it up 20 percent in the first half and down 30 in the back half. I don't know how this is going to play out. So if I can get a long that I can match up against a short fundamentally, not just the hedge it, but where I think one set of numbers goes up and the other set of numbers goes down, that's the best situation you can possibly ask for. And I think TI fits that bill because it is so universally hated in the semiconductor community. All right,
0: so here's one that I actually find the most fascinating, not that I did not find the top four picks, and I'm not saying they were ranked in order, but this one here, thats what we'll close out with, is the XBI. This is the S&P Biotech ETF. And this is making new 52-week highs today as we talk. It's up 45% from the 52-week lows just made about two and a half months ago or so. Interestingly enough, still down 45% from its 2021 all-time highs. And I guess we could probably take a lot of that out in and around all the excitement, the COVID shot, vaccine, whatever you want to call it. And then Moderna was probably making a huge part of that or whatever. So talk to me about what you're seeing here, because it does fit some of the themes I think you've talked about already across technology, some of the stuff going on in biotech, at least a lot of friends of mine who look at technology, they think some of the most interesting things in tech are going on in biotech right now. Uh,
1: I always joke biotech is a very easy theme because nobody wants to die, right? And so these companies are developing the drugs that'll hopefully help us with that. From a practical standpoint, again, I go back to the actions speak louder than words. The biotech index has underperformed for three years running. It was up 8% last year. Obviously, the market was up in the mid-20s. It was down 26% the year before. It was down 20% the year before that. Now, I have no idea what the right valuation should be, but I know the big pharma companies. do. And if you look at the billion-dollar acquisitions in the biotech space, almost half of them happened starting in October at some massive premiums. You can look at Bristol-Myers having bought Raise Bio for $4 billion and Karuna at $14 billion, and they paid premiums of 100% to 50% 4th They've gone to a valuation level that actions are speaking way louder than words where you've got these companies now stepping in and just, massively taking these names out. And so from that perspective, I really like them. The second one, which may be hard to believe, is that the space is actually somewhat defensive in that if you look at the 2008 period when the S&P went down 38%, the S&P biotech index was actually up 10%. In 2000, 2001, when the S&P was down 22%, the biotech index was only down 8%. The fact that the valuations are at levels where you had companies willing to pay 100% premiums tells me that we're near the floor, I think. And especially given the growth rates in some of these healthcare companies, they need to refill their pipelines and they're picking this as a way to do that. I'm willing to bet with those companies that were near bottom. And the fact that all the picks that I've mentioned to some degree have some defensive quality to them, I think, because I do look at this year and I go, things could really go south, much like they have the last three years, where consensus was spectacularly wrong, both on the downside and the upside. So with Amazon, I got share gains. With Meta, I got an election cycle with TI, it was everybody hates this thing. I think it's probably behaves countercyclically with biotech underperformer for three years. But you've got big drug companies stepping up to buy them out. And with K-Web, that's probably the most hated sector in all of technology. You'd have to be an idiot to recommend that. But at this valuation, I go, well, kind of interesting. So all the picks sort of have that in common. And that's one of the reasons I like biotech. Because I was honestly surprised when I went back to look at how they did during recessions and said, wow, you would think they'd be getting killed, but actually did okay.
0: I think that's a great place to end it. I mean, if you want to see two idiots, two only Dans, recommend uh, Chinese internet stocks, tune in to CNBC's Fast Money or do a double listen of this podcast. Man, listen, dude, that that was epic. It was an epic run through. It's really helpful, I think, to start to take a look back. And and I think the way you framed how most investors, how most strategists, how most analysts were thinking about the markets over the last few years, it went the opposite way is what the consensus was heading in. And I do like the fact that not only are a lot of these picks defensive and you just laid out why, but they also have the potential for really good appreciation if things go well at some point in this year. And you're expecting volatility. You're expecting a 20% decline at some Point. That doesn't mean that we have to end down that way. It means that we could end down much lower too. So, again, I really appreciate you coming on and laying things out with all the transparency that you do. And I hope that you will come back in a quarter or so. We can review some of this and maybe adjust some of the views there too.
1: That's the one that you can count on, right? I think as a Money manager, you figure 40% of your stuff's going to go wrong. Like it's just going to. And so you have to adjust as you go forward. And you look at the data as it comes in and you got to adjust your opinions as you go. So uh, all I can guarantee is that probably I'll have 30% of first, 40% of my picks not work and have to adjust them and trade around them as we go. But I think hopefully this is a, it's it's a good combination. Last year's combination of picks, which were Meta, UFG. Uranium and XLV and then cash and three-month T-bills in aggregate did pretty darn well because that's what we started the year with. Hopefully this year we've gotten some nice defense in there if people just sort of buy and forget about it for the year so we'll see how it turns out
0: none of that i, I did think your picks were really interesting because they weren't very concentrated into one theme in a way you had lots of ways to play different secular themes and i thought that made a lot of sense especially in a rip-roaring bull market all right dan niles you are the founder and portfolio manager of the soturi fund we really appreciate you coming back to the pod we look forward to you coming back again and tune in because you're going to see him on cbc's fast money with guy and myself tonight so thanks a lot thank you dan